You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. It's brand new. It's sort of exciting. Lots of new things happening here. Got a new baby that just got here today. That's exciting. Thank you, Corinne, for the baby. And uh, Lindsay, don't, don't, don't wish that Lindsay's comes too soon, right? Because you have to move in first, right? That's the deal. All right, like two weeks? Okay. All right, we're not praying at all for you at all. Not until that, not that was first. Uh, it's like, everything's new. I like the, it's, it's so exciting to be involved in a new birth. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. I, I was glad I got invited. And um, I thought I'd um, just let you have a little small moment of enjoying it. You play this game with your five-year-olds, right? I hang around a lot with five, five-year-olds. A couple this afternoon, you played the germination game, the new birth game, right? Where you say, okay, everybody, go dormant. Get on down. Germinate. Put those seeds up. Put those shoots are coming up. They're going through the earth. They're coming through the earth. They're getting on the sun. We can feel the sun. Yeah, we can feel the sun. We welcome our seedlings. You want to do this all the time? I do this in line for like the lines at uh, Disney World. Everybody go dormant. Okay, pretty soon we have the whole crew doing it. <laughs> you got to do something. But you're, you're kind of doing that, right? You're, you're germinating in a new way. It's sort of exciting. I like it. You thought that was dumb, I know, but I... You loved it? I looked to my one fan. I knew she would say that. Thank you, Leah. <laughs> I love the seed game. I remember we used to play that. That was so great. This is an earth sermon, as you can tell. I'm talking about the seeds germinating, all about seeds. And I, I, the, the whole season and your, your season is all about that too. Um, and, it, and it just came just in time, really. It's like um, the Honduran farmer I met that one time I was down there. And he just got into his latest uh, crop planting. And he, was, he has rocky soil all over Honduras. It's a hard place to farm. And so he got there just in time this year for the Lempira to be uh, devalued by the United States, so his fertilizer cost twice as much. And so he was telling us how he was kind of just like up the creek, and this year was not going to be a good harvest at all, and his children were going to likely be in trouble. And he had quite a few children. And I think you're kind of getting planted in that kind of territory, too. I know that's not a real happy to lolly Topahawken story to start out with, but, but that, it's honest, right? Because the world is kind of in that condition Maybe it always is, but certainly right now. And a lot of people in this very neighborhood don't have enough fertilizer for their farm. Kids are in trouble. We all know this. So this is a great place to get planted. Great time to get planted. And even if the cards seem stacked against us, Jalala Yesu, and we will manage to, uh, you know, bring something to fruit. That the gospel is going to get planted again and again and again. And that's what I want to talk about. You know, what, what's the gospel? What is the seed truth about Jesus that makes all the difference to me and to others? How do I share the gospel? This is what I've been thinking about. You know, because how, how do I farm with Jesus, plant the seeds of transformation? Can we still do that? I mean, I'm kind of getting kind of old. Can I still do that? God asked a question. Um, and how do I incarnate the gospel? How do I incarnate it? How can I be, I and us be, the seed with Jesus. Those are, those are questions I've been working on my whole life, and so I wanted to, to work uh, a little more on them with you tonight. And you might just be starting with them. 
But if you are just starting with them, then you'll be, you'll be just as fresh as today's scripture when we get there. So I got some earth stories in honor of the resurrection still, in honor of this whole earth springing into greenness. I was just up in the mountains and just burst into green, which always reminds me that God must be good because it's not winter anymore and it's wonderful. And uh, all the stories parallel this main story about the time Jesus compared himself to a seed. So I hope they help you kind of think about it, ponder all the sorts of good things that are going to come about now that you're springing up here. My first story starts here, back in the super old days. Not that old, that's really old, but that, that's the only picture I could find of my schoolhouse where I went to junior high in California. There's this, there's this one place, uh, this one story that gets stuck in my head about um, seeds and seed planting and the gospel there that started there when I was in eighth grade in Miss Orr's class. I kept mulling over that time I wanted to tell Kim, my childhood buddy, about the gospel. And I was sitting next to her at this big desk, and I thought I probably should lean over to her and say something about the gospel. Because I went to this Baptist church from my the far outreaches of Christianity or no Christianity got dropped off at the Baptist church, and they kept talking about telling people the gospel. And being a dutiful guy, I thought, well, I should tell Kim the gospel. She's an easy mark because we're like sister, sister and brother. The only problem I had is that I, when I, I, I kind of leaned over to do it, I, I said, now what is the gospel? I literally did not know what I was talking about. I could, not, I could not put that together. And I've been kind of chuckling that, you know, about eighth graders in general, but certainly about me. And I really wanted to do something, but I, I said, well, what's the gospel? How, I, I knew I felt something tender about Jesus. I had a good feeling even about this crazy church I went to. But I, when it came down to kind of getting the data correctly, I, didn't, I really didn't think I was doing it right. And I was tongue-tied, and I didn't, I didn't say anything to her at that point because I just couldn't get sharing the gospel right. Now, I, I kind of beat myself up for quite a few years about that as only you can, I don't know what your eighth grade was like, but I'm still ashamed of most of myself until like last year when I got a lot of psychotherapy, you know? And so I, it's a, eighth grade was, was horrifying. And um, I was horrifying. But uh, <laughs> so I look back and I go, hey, let's not think about that at all. But I was, and I, and I kind of gave myself a break because, um, it would have been nice to have some well-ordered content on hand for Kim, but as you'll see, um, I, what eventually introduced Kim to Jesus was much more my presence in her life uh, than my data. That's, uh, that realization that it's more, that presence is probably usually more powerful than principle fits right into the scripture I want to work on tonight. And it, and it works a lot better than those content-heavy lessons I was getting in Sunday school. Works, and it, it was really refreshing when I thought of all the data-driven things that the world tries to do to me. That actually presence is probably more powerful than principle. So you'll have to see if you decide I'm right as you look at uh, this report of an incident when Jesus met some new people during his last Passover festival. Sorry, I'm going to do this every time. Did it get there? Because <laughs> I always mess. And what did I actually put on the screen? I have to know. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. And I, just to say in advance, these Greeks are converts to Judaism. And I see them as at the far reaches of the Jewish community. 
they're, they're not the insiders. They came to Philip, who was beside in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, and, and say this part with me in the yellow, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Quick, just get all that in your head so you have something to think about while I'm talking. When the Greek converts to Judaism went to meet Jesus, when, they, when he hears about it, somehow he knows his time is here. It's time for his work to be complete. It's, he doesn't even talk, give him a straight answer, right? These guys want to see you, Jesus. And he just says, my hour has come. I, they must have experienced this often. He just starts talking about whatever he wants to talk about, regardless of what you come with. He tells you what you need to know. And um, he, it was like something uh, clicked in him, and, and it was spring. It was like, he said, up, oh, no longer dormant. Ah, sunlight. We're going to be sunlight about you know, a, week, a week now or so. You'll see me risen from the dead. It's time. The time has come. They, he got clear to the edges of Judaism and said, okay, I think I've done enough. Now I'm going to go and get to the final act here. I'm not sure if these Greek guys ever got to meet Jesus. That would be disappointing. And they even got in the Bible and everything, so I hope they did. Um, but, the, but the fact that they're there it seems to uh, set Jesus off. And uh, God, he tells them how God has planted himself on the earth. He's about to go through the transformation that bears the fruit of eternal life. This is, this is what's re what I'm really here for. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm, fine, I'm here where I am meant to be. I have, I have come to where I came to be. I'm like that grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies. You've heard that, him say that before? I mean, it doesn't literally die, does it? It's, I, what happens in germination is like death to the old seed. Once the new plant starts growing out, that old husk that was the seed basically dies away. There's, there's no longer a need for like a seed. Now we have a whole plant. Transformation has happened. That's the whole, the whole point of spring, right? Unless you stay dormant, of course, that's just an aside. I mean, if the, some seeds don't germinate, right? You've, you planted some in your garden and they didn't come up. You always say, well, they didn't come up. They basically just stayed dormant and died. They rotted in the, in the ground. That's, that's, a, that's a side issue. Your faith might be like that too. If you had a seed of faith in you and it never got anywhere, it never actually went into the sun and flourished and grew, well, yeah, it would just die. That would be sad. But Jesus is talking about what most seeds do. Something clicks, you know, and then they transform. And the, the, the seed's life is over, and a new life is produced. So I've been pondering this since I was a little kid, especially since I was eight, eight, eighth grade and had some semblance of uh, sentience. Um, I, I had a lot of experiences lately even that have made me uh, think again that I'm, I'm going into a time now where probably the old, the old seed is going to die in some way or another, and I'm going to move into something new. 
I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a transforming time of my life even right now. And I, want, and I want to lean into that transformation. The story tells me again, yeah, lean into that. Don't avoid it. You're not, you're not longing to be dormant, are you? you know, you're, you're longing to keep the germination process going. That's what Jesus is describing to his disciples. And um, those, those Greeks who are feeling the first blush of the real Passover there, clear out on the edges of the Lord's field, let him know that it's spring. So when I was sitting next to Kim, I wanted to get involved in that. I kind of wanted to plant a seed. A seed had been planted in me, in the, the church somehow. I remembered things about Jesus, and I kind of wanted to engage her in um, something about that too. It, it would have been great if I had leaned over and had some colorful conversation to have with Kim about seeds and how they germinate. Kim, it's like this. And then Jesus said, and it would have been great, because when an eighth grader says something like that, everybody says, wow, what a great eighth grader. And I really wanted to be one of those, but I didn't have the words. I didn't know what I was talking about. And even if I had, I would have leaned over to Kim, and Miss Orr would have hitched up her skirt like she always did, and she would have walked over to me in her sensible shoes. I love this woman. I remember her vividly. I sat in the front row because I was so bad. And she would lean down in my face and she'd say, Rod White, are you going to talk through this class too? <laughs> and she would kind of spray me with coffee breath. And I remember it vividly. You know, I, I didn't, uh, this happened like every day for me. I, and I most, most of the time, I did not know what I was talking about. And what's more, there was a Miss Orr trying to make sure that I didn't talk about anything but what she wanted to talk to me about because she was trying to indoctrinate me with the ways of the world. And she was fairly decent at it. It didn't stick, but she kept trying. <laughs> Nevertheless, when I, when I was uh, sitting next to Kim, you know, I was being called and I was being touched by God. The presence of God was moving me. I didn't quite even know how to name it yet. I didn't have words for it yet. I just felt it. But I longed for God. I, I longed for Jesus from out of the outskirts, I, and I'd found Jesus. And Jesus drew me. Uh, into a transformation of heart, heart, soul, and mind. My, my, my second story comes from my college years, and I, and, I, and I know you are raptly interested in my whole life story, right? So that's why I'm telling it. The, um, the, that's UC Riverside, and I spent my, my first years in college in that dorm and, a, and on that field yeah, on that grass, that very grass, um, throwing a frisbee, and had stumbled into a lot of opportunities to share the gospel. By that time, I kind of knew what the gospel was. I was getting there, and I felt, still felt that I ought to do something about um, evangelism. I should plant some seeds. I, don't, I didn't really call it much evangelism. I just thought I should plant some seeds. I wasn't very easy to indoctrinate, so I never quite got the full thing. What I know now that I, I was in the earth stage of my faith development. I was at the beginning stages when things get planted and they start to grow, if there's any good soil to grow in. Maybe I was moving into wind. You know, we, we have those metaphors for this uh, d spiritual development. I, I hope you're familiar with this by now. We keep talking about earth, wind, fire, and water, and we see ourselves moving in these stages of spiritual development, and we try to help each other get to uh, the next stage and our metaphors um, kind of help, I think. 
the, the earth one in particular is all about these beginning stages of the way of being on the way of Jesus, about growing roots. We get real po poetic about it when we get to the, uh, you know, the things we're putting on our website called the way of Jesus. Sprouts and roots, we'd say, breezes, blowing and change, the change of season, scattering seeds, sun greening leaves and lightning causing blazes, rain and river nourishing growth. This whole sense of, uh, this was really happening for me at this point. Didn't have much of a principle-based anything. I kind of think of myself as kind of a feral Christian. And I was just kind of getting things from the Holy Spirit and whatever was happening in my atmosphere. And so um, it was like that. So I was experiencing these first fruits that had been germinating, um, just like uh, Andrew and Philip were taught by Jesus and the crowd. You know, those who love their life will lose it, right? Is it on? Oh, it's on there? Oh, good. It's already on there. Those who love their life will lose it. And did I blow it again? Oh, good. Say it with me. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it through eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me must follow me. Even though my, my, my faith was kind of growing like a weed, um, I was still trying to figure out how to get Christianity right. And I was surrounded with a lot of people who thought I should get it right, I found out when I met more Christians. I was actually in the home of the homeland of Campus Crusade for Christ. Have you ever heard about that? Anybody? Anybody ever go to a crew meeting? Well, of course you did. But the, um, uh, if I sound negative, it's because I am kind of negative. But, um, I had a terrible relationship with uh, Crusade, actually. Um, they, they had this, for, this booklet they, they used called The Four Laws, and it was very principle-driven. And um, I almost didn't put it up because you'll think I'm negative and I didn't like it, but I just didn't like it. I, I, I admit it here in my old age. Um, they considered this to be absolutely right, and if you went through these four laws effectively, you would be a Christian. Uh, no particular feelings, uh, no particular relationships, just these facts. And if you got it right, you would get it right. And I was kind of influenced with that. I was struggling with this at this age in my life because I was a Christian who didn't have much principle. I just, the seed kind of just blew into my life, got planted, and before I even knew what it was about, I couldn't even tell Kim what it was about, I already had it. And I, and I felt it, and I knew it. And I had this very personal kind of relationship with God before I knew what my relationship was all about. So these principle-driven Christians came and kind of uh, shook me up and uh, I didn't feel too much, I didn't feel too good about it. Um, I never had had much of a head, period, and a face that didn't get firmly rooted in it. But to, you know, it was getting there, but it hadn't gotten there yet. So they were really trying to teach me something. But because I did um, not know what I was doing, I decided to try what they do nonetheless, and I used the book. I really did. Uh, I took the book to one of my roommates one time, my dorm mate, he lived next door to me, and I thought I should tell him the gospel. <laughs> I had this motivation all the time. I hadn't talked to him about it yet, hardly even knew him. I said, well, I haven't talked to him about the gospel yet. I should go to his room and tell him about the gospel. <laughs> so 
as usual, I didn't know what I was going to say, but I decided to take this book because I had one of them. And so I said, I'll, de I'll, I'll use this. And I got to his room and I, and I started to say, I think I should tell you about Jesus. And after that, I had nothing to say at all. I was so tongue-tied. It's one of the more embarrassing moments I have ever had because I just sat there trying to be all spiritual and stuff, trying to do something really cool, and I was going to save this guy's life forever, forever. And I couldn't even remember what to say. I felt like a fool. I was totally embarrassed. And I just kind of said, okay, um, hey, maybe you want to read this book. And I, just, and I just ran out the door. And I went back next door to my room. And I, I even remember doing this. I sat on my bed. I kind of flopped on my bed. And I beat my head against the wall. <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. Easy to do when you're stupid. Um, the next day, he comes up to me at breakfast and he goes, hey, you know, I read that book and I prayed that prayer at the end. That makes me a Christian, right? <laughs> I'd go, damn, that makes you a Christian. That's great. <laughs> That's really exciting for you. And uh, he, uh, he wrote me a Christmas card every year for 15 years thanking me for his faith because that's how he became a Christian. That's how it happened. <laughs> he became an elder in his church and all this great stuff down in this ritzy uh, suburb he lived in north of San Diego. That experience taught me a crucial lesson. I realized that Jesus didn't need me to be great, which is good because I'm not that great. You know, you're listening to me speak. Not that great. You know, it is what it is. I've got what I've got. But I am, I am present. I do show up. I do follow Jesus. I may do it wrongly, but I'm doing it, and you can tell I'm doing it. And where the servant is, there the master is also. You know, that's the seed. That's the presence. I was learning to share the gospel by, by sharing how I was with Jesus and being there when the hour had come. And it seemed to have been good enough. A couple of weeks ago, my apprentice told us this uh, tear-filled story in, her, in the cell. You know, she had been, she got into our cell and she was super depressed when she did. She said I could tell this story and, she, you know, you can ask her, it's much better. But, uh, super depressed, but hung in with the cell because she had, she had just been about ready to, to just get rid of Christianity. And then she discovered Circle of Hope, ended up in our cell, and we were working this out together. Um, nothing much happened in the cell, I don't think. I'm not sure what it was great about the cell or anything like that, but we were there for her, and she kept hanging on. Then last month, she was at this conference, and the speaker said something that kind of set her off. It was like the hour had come. It was like she'd been dormant, and now something got, was started to, to germinate, and it just hit her, really, in a, in a big way, that God really loved her. This for her, this is a huge thing. It wasn't just how she did the right thing or how she avoided doing the bad things, but God really just loved her. And that, that experience of that freed her. It wasn't just in her head, you know, it was really just a sense of, oh, wow, I, I am actually loved. She really felt it. She said it was like a wave over her body. All these years of Christianity, and she finally felt free to follow Jesus as she was and not as she should be. You know, the hour had come. So exciting. She, she kind of dashed in to tell us this. 
It's one of the reasons I just didn't like the four laws that much. Not to just keep dissing people, but, you know, and a lot of, a lot of evangelical pastors also kind of imply that if you just follow these four laws, then life will come. It's almost like self-help. If you just do the right thing, well, then the right thing will come. That's up to you. You're kind of the center of this process. And, th and Jesus isn't, nothing organic about him, particularly. Nothing, um, particularly even spiritual or relational. You know, it's, it's like faith in him is like a principle of science. And if you look at that scripture, did you memorize it when I told you to memorize it? You know, it, it, uh, it doesn't seem like science to me. It seems like something's just happening. You know, God is, God is with us. Jesus is right in front of us, telling us what's up. Uh, and even down to what the hour this is and what's germinating right now. I think that's, that's how we follow Jesus more. About the same time I'm having all these evangelistic experiences in college, I went home one weekend, and Kim was home. Kim was home from college too. And in my own charming way, budding evangelist that I was, I, at one point in our conversation I said, so why aren't you a Christian yet? That face, kind of that face too. Did my face look kind of snotty? So why aren't you a Christian yet? You know? After that encounter, she swore she would never become a Christian. I was so aggressive, and I sounded so mean. She couldn't take it. She wrote me that in a letter about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years later. That's probably more like 20. And it started out, the letter started out, I really did not want to write this since I know you will be so pleased with yourself. <laughs> We're like brother and sister. I talked to her on Facebook yesterday. But her son was going through this terrible time, and he really had a terrible time. He finally, um, he finally died. But at this point, he just started out in his drug life, and she was going through a terrible time with him. And the question came back to her in that terrible time, so why aren't I a Christian? And she said, so I went down to the nearest church to me, and by the time the meeting was done, I was a Christian. She wrote me so because she thought I should know, even though I'd probably be conceited about it. Finally, I was thinking, you know, as this process goes through, and I'm kind of maturing in this ability to think about, well, what, what is it? What, how, do I, how do you incarnate the gospel? If you're talking about that God is more like presence than principle, what does that even mean? And what, what, do you, what do you do with that? When he first moved to Philadelphia, that's what the church looked like. Oh, and that didn't look like a little seed. I like that. There you go. You got, I like how you guys receive any slide that goes up there. Say, oh, yeah, that makes sense somehow. <laughs> I'm sure that's... I, I, <laughs> that's why you want to hang out with these people, because they're so darn nice, you know? Whatever, whatever happens, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where was I? Oh, I was just thinking, when we, when we first moved to Philadelphia, I was, I was sure the time had come, and that God was going to really give life to a lot of dormant seeds. He knew where they were, and he knew how we were going to touch them, when we, when we, especially when we showed up in their neighborhoods and we made one of our little cells, you know, our seed plots that we try to germinate seeds in. Some people weren't so sure about me. I don't know you know these stories or not. They weren't so sure about me when I moved to town because um, I still couldn't stomach some head-bound, 
four laws, principle-based ideology uh, masquerading as Christianity. Just couldn't take it. Uh, we, we embraced people before they even believed they were part of the church. We, the, the people thought we were really soft on sin. What do you let those people in your church for? So, well, they're germinating. That's <laughs> Never quite got the chance to have the argument before they said, well, those people must not even be Christians. They might be a cult hanging around their little cells all the time. What happens in those cells? You know how it goes. So um, we, oh, we, we always ended up on both sides of some argument, too, and couldn't figure out what the hell are you talk, heck are you talking about this third way thing. And do you say hell in your sermons, too? Like all the time? What's going on? <laughs> but by then I was kind of convinced that Jesus' presence planted in the earth, Jesus risen to new life, is what gives us eternal life. And when we get planted in the earth and we rise up in our various ways, we do a lot more good in the world. We do a lot more transformation than when we're trying to do, the, do right by some principle or by some principle delivered by some man. We do it because we're one with God and one with each other. People on the outskirts of faith find um, the disciples of the Lord and they tell him, we want to see Jesus. We want to experience the presence of God, not just the words. The words are great, but it's the presence of Jesus. When, we, when you get to see something like the body of Christ here on Topohawken, when you get to see it, that's when the seeds of eternity that are dormant in someone start germinating. I think that's what the Bible is saying. So I take really great heart that we are the presence of safety in this time for the polarized. We invite people into dialogue, not just principle. We have a shared life of listening to God and the spirit in one another. We're the presence of healing for the traumatized. Wow. Um, whether it's by race, sexuality, gender, religion, politics, violence. And we have this healing in us. We're the presence of community for the marginalized, you know, the young, certainly the, the poor that keep getting over and over again, get created, you know, the foreign, the so-called foreign, the shamed, the different, the doubtful, the 99% maybe. You know, we, we have love in us for the presence of that community. We're the presence of opportunity for the slaves to the economy. Circle of Hope is our enterprise. We own it. Nobody else makes it but us and God. That's how it happens. We're making something great. And we're employment for everybody who can't find a decent way to express themselves in this rapacious economy, who are deprived of agency, who are locked out of ownership. We're the presence of the future and so much more. Recently, Kim's husband died. And um, I guess that's why she's on my mind so much. This is part of the eulogy she gave to him on Facebook. I expected him to live forever, and he didn't have my permission to go, but I trust in his cooperation with God and his connection to a better plan. I picture a happy reunion with our son on God's perfect golf course in paradise. 
That being said, this grief almost did me in, and I applaud anyone who has lost their better half and finds a way forward. I love this creative, loving universe where our creative, loving, and our creative, loving God, who brought us Jesus and the love of family and friends to show us unconditional love. Love is forever. Joy is the key. A long way from that desk in Miss Orr's class, I'm astounded when I read that, because I know this person well, like she knows me well. I'm sure we, sometimes she looks at me and go, how in the world did you ever start giving speeches? How did that happen? What is happening? Must be God. God must have done it. It's a miracle that the seeds respond. You know, I, I'm not responsible for what Kim wrote to her husband, you know, about her husband. I mean, she thinks I was instrumental, but God is out drawing people right now that we don't even know. We don't even know who's going to be here next week or how God's going to draw them into faith. God's out there doing what God does, calling the dormant seeds into life. We're instruments about that, however we do it. Not all of us actually say something or do something or go to their dorm mate's room and say, I want to give you the four laws or something. That might be a stretch. But in so many ways, we, we incarnate this presence of God in this neighborhood. And we're making a new seat bed right here on Topohagen. Right here at, what did I say? WTH. You know, that's great. Some of us might be, uh, I, I don't know all of you, so some of you might be starting to follow Jesus right now because after years, maybe you're just like my apprentice and it's time. Or maybe it's, uh, you're like my roommate in college or my dorm mate in college and it's like a first uh, even mention of this whole story to you. Maybe a song actually moved you and you thought, I should go with that movement. I should keep moving with that. I think you're right. And that's um, because now is always the time to respond, to lose our dormancy and move into the life we're created to live. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.